Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm here with my co-presenter, Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors, as today we talk hotel design. In March 2020, hotel design was booming. There were 6,860 luxury hotels in the construction pipeline in Europe alone, containing a planned number of 1,516,493 new guest rooms. The sector was experiencing unprecedented global expansion and new groups of customers whose new requirements were emerging. And then along came COVID. At the very start of the pandemic, cruise ships, which are basically floating resort hotels, were especially badly hit. Some vessels were left circling the globe in search of a port that would take them in. And overnight, guest safety became hoteliers' number one priority as we all adjusted our environments and behaviours to avoid the spread of the infection. So, how have hospitality designers approached these new challenges facing their projects? And what are the key areas they now need to consider in order to continue to effectively answer their clients' needs? Welcome to the Interior Design Business. We're delighted to welcome Elizabeth Lane, partner at RPW Design, and Fiona Thompson, principal at Richmond International, as our guests for this conversation. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Elizabeth, can you briefly introduce yourself and RPW Design? Yes. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, as you say, from RPW Design. I'm a partner there. Um, we're in an international design practice working across a wide range of hospitality related sectors with some residential design as as well we work on luxury hotels cruise ships private members clubs casinos um any kind of project in that space really um and we like to be focused we have a senior management team who all have strong hospitality backgrounds which is what the practice was built on. I myself come from a hotel operation background before moving into this um, sector. So we've worked on um, a Le Meridian, a rebrand of a Le Meridian in Malta to a Marriott. We worked on Marriott County Hall. Um, we recently, most recently, probably finished the um, guest rooms and suites at the Intercontinental on Park Lane. Um, we're working internationally really we've worked um, in Tbilisi in Georgia we're doing a new build project in Sofia in Bulgaria um, yes um, uh, a wide range and and some cruise ships too amazing and Fiona can you tell us about your background and also pertinently about Richmond International sure yes uh, likewise Richmond is a hospitality design consultancy um, my background is originally in architecture, but I've been with Richmond nearly 30 years now, and I'm the principal there. Um, we work again on a lot of very wide range of projects, so it's cruise ships, hotels, anything hospitality related. Um, more commonly now residential, particularly with the growth in the service departments and residential sector as well, but anything to do with the hospitality world. Uh, we work internationally, we've worked on every continent in the world. And we're currently uh, working on a number of projects, generally in the higher end of the market, um, again, for companies such as uh, Raffles Four Seasons, um, Rosewood, um, that sort of company. Wonderful. So what's been your take on COVID? Our clients have to 
close and react. And I think, you know, this last nine months, we have seen that a great uncertainty around what our industry is doing, but also a great resilience. They've shown this um, amazing ability to adapt and, and react to, to some very, you know, difficult and trying times. Um, and therefore we've been trying to sort of go along with that as, as well. Um, we've found, I don't, I don't know about you Fiona, but you know, projects we were working on, on ships at the start, they were one of the first things that went straight away, reacted very quickly. As we remember back then, there was so much press around the ships and how this virus was affecting them. Um, so that that fell away very quickly and then and then it came through into the, the, the rest of the hospitality as well. So the ship industry shut completely overnight, um, closed their order books, cancelled all of their future projects, which was quite radical, I guess. Um, but I, again, centred around the amount of bad press and just the uncertainty, I think, of what was happening. Um, the hotel world has not done that. I think, you know, people and there's I think as you said the word uncertainty is such a big factor nobody really knows how long it's going to go on for and I think initially everyone thought you know six weeks 12 weeks we'll all be back to normal and you know it's a, glit, a blip and we'll sort of pick up from there um, but obviously the longer it goes on the more concern people have in the industry um, we haven't had major projects put on hold things have certainly slowed up and we've just had to be agile to respond to that really and they've slowed up for all sorts of reasons um, not just necessarily because the client, you know, is concerned. It's you, know, you can't have heritage bodies aren't available to approve things. You can't go to site. There's all such a range of things that have prevented people um, being able to travel and being able to fulfil their roles, I suppose, on projects. So it has really slowed up. So we've just found we've just got to be really less, you know, able to adapt and able to be sort of responsive, I guess, to whatever's needs on projects. Um, and we still don't know. I think that's the key. Still, I mean, I know there's the talk of vaccine, but still people don't really know how long this is going to go play out for. So it's uncertainty. Is just, it makes people nervous uh, in every industry, but particularly, obviously, I guess, in the hospitality world. And do you think that there's a, this is sort of fundamentally, that there's going to be a long-term change in guest behaviour? Well, I, I, I don't know, Fiona, what you've seen, but certainly on the, you know, we have a couple of projects here in, in uh, hotels outside of, of London. And uh, uh, just sort of a good example of exactly what Fiona was saying about needing to be nimble and, and agile and, and react. Everything went very quiet on this project we were working on. And then all of a sudden the client said, well, actually, why don't we do the work now while, while we've got this hiatus? And then, so then we had to react really quickly to try and move everything forward. And then, because they're in the country, they're actually very busy because everybody wants to go and stay there because it's in the country and it's lovely and they feel safe. And it's, uh, I think, so I, I tend to agree with Fiona. I don't think people, maybe people won't want to get on a plane or quite as many people get on a plane, but I certainly think in the domestic market, there will be a big rise people will still want to travel and get away and and see something i think you know by the time we've been through this in in winter time everybody will want to break from working at home and, and seeing somewhere different yeah 
I think, you know, the business world is changing. The business traveller has changed a lot because we've been stopped from doing that. Um, and I think there's that I think long term will change for sure, because I think people have learned of ways to adapt and change how we work. So you don't just jump on a plane to go to a meeting you know, anymore. And I think that will have that that will continue post COVID because I think that whole life work balance and charging around the world, you know, all the time, it has changed significantly. So I think the business traveler will change fundamentally, but people on leisure still want to travel, still want to go away, still want to go on holiday. I think you'll be more choosy, you know, probably a quick hop to Barcelona for the weekend may not be as common as it used to be just because people may be a little bit more cautious about getting on planes. But I think, you know, to say that people won't travel, I think is, is wrong. People like traveling and it's, part of human nature that you want to experience new things and meet new people and all of those things so I don't believe there'll be a fundamental shift in that once we're able to do it again. How else are hoteliers responding to, to those changes? I think short term it's very difficult you know a lot of hotels have, have closed up they're not reopening even when they can either in UK or internationally especially urban hotels that rely on international travel I mean I think um, Elizabeth touched on it, you know, the national hotels or local resort type hotels, if you like, have done very well out of it. But the city centre hotels that rely on the international traveller are just really suffering. Um, and so a lot of them have closed, even if they are able to stay open or are really struggling. So, you know, occupancy is just down so low. That will change. They're just waiting out, I think, trying to wait it out to when this is over and, you know, we can go back to some sort of normality, I guess. And you know, different parts of the world are reopening up and, and, and people are coming back. And what about projects that you had that were nearing delivery at the, at the beginning of the year when this hit, all hit? Did you have to make fundamental kind of, did you have to go back to the drawing board effectively on things that were close to delivery? We found that they, they pushed on generally. Yeah, I, I would agree. The only thing we've sort of revisited, I guess, and maybe short term is F&B in terms of all day dining and spaces like that. But in the general hotel projects, there's been very little change, I have to be honest, and very different and very little um, rethinking about how people use spaces. So people aren't thinking about one-way systems around buildings and all that sort of thing, the way we've seen introduced into other public spaces during this time? No, no, not in, not in our experience at all. We haven't had any of that. There's been this move towards the more open plan lobby, all day dining all those sorts of areas which actually for those properties who have that kind of environment they found that's worked quite well for them in this situation where they have opened up because it means they've got space they've got the space to be able to space people out but so i agree with fiona we haven't seen any requirement for any long-term planning and in fact in a couple of conversations i've had with with brands they've specifically said no we're not going to design specifically for covid at this time because we don't think it's going to be a long-term thing so as long as they are able to put measures in i think one of the things we have had to do take out cushions <laughs> not not have cushions and touch points and i think that's about giving guests the feeling of of you know there's there's minimal things um for them to sort of have for maintenance but um no nothing nothing big and also I suppose surfaces that are impossible to clean and is it has, has there been a difference in the response between depending on the size of the hotel group 
Has this has it played out differently in the large hotel groups? Not really. I we haven't found it. I think I mean the industry is talking a lot about it, which I think is quite a good thing. Um, you know, it isn't one group's doing this, one group's doing that. There has been a sort of a momentum where everyone's sort of thinking about it. Um, you know, I think the guest perception of cleanliness is very important, and a lot of the bigger groups have uh, joined forces with you know medical institutions or anything like that to 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 obviously make psychologically make people feel more reassured that where they're staying is obviously considered it's clean you know at the early days there was lots of talk about air conditioning and whether we should have that whether you should put our ev light in it that could kill bugs all sorts of things like that and i think some of those um some of the things that were suggested will will play out but i fundamentally i think everyone's really approaching the new projects as though this will be over at some time and people will want to go back to using space as they did previously. And I know um, boutique hotels were an area of really rapid expansion pre-pandemic. Um, do you think this has continued? Or, I mean, have they got the, have they, have they got the kind of financial clout or the, the backing behind them to continue to expand? Or are you mostly seeing the stability and the maintenance of projects within the, the larger hotel chains? I think a mixing, a mixture. Actually, we are looking at both, and it's you know, it's funding whether whether projects can get funded, whether it's the big hotel groups or the smaller, you know, boutique individually owned. Um, so I don't think there's one answer to that. I think it across the sector, projects are still happening in every level. It just is purely depending on the the you know the the amount of confidence I guess people have in any given market. I think we had this situation for us certainly the last few years has been quite tough i would have to say you know the whole brexit thing projects stopped and started quite a lot in the last few years and towards the end of last year it felt that there was a sudden sea change and things were really starting to move and projects were reactivated um and so you know i guess october november last year we were like oh phew we're moving out of that you know horrible phase that we've been in the last couple of years I'm going to be honest, and then suddenly COVID's here, and it's like wham, it's it's a double whammy. So things are still happening, projects are still going on, but much slower and much less projects being talked about than you know we thought was. It was that sort of light at the end of the tunnel, lots of things coming back, and then suddenly this has happened. So things have stalled for sure. They have things are still happening, but definitely slower than previously. So that's interesting. So those statistics that I quoted at the beginning about the number of luxury hotels, three star and above or four star and above, I think it was, which were being built in Europe alone. And that was only that didn't reflect what was happening globally because the, the pattern was true in America and Africa and everywhere else. That's really interesting that, that, that you know you guys who are at the forefront of this in the UK are both sort of saying, actually, for the last couple of years, it's been very jerky. Because we've certainly found we've certainly found that as a practice as well. That, you know, Brexit had a, a terrible stop start effect on us yeah and I, I yeah and internationally not just here i think it's just been it's been a tough few years in the industry what about the the process of designing guest rooms have are you changing your thinking at all having had the experience that you've had this last year you do want somewhere to, for those people who might feel a bit more nervous to make sure that they've, they've got room somewhere where they can properly have uh, dining in the room if they, if they want to be contained um, but I think it goes back to what Fiona said earlier you know we are social beings at the end of the day and I don't think this wants the fact certainly wants the vaccines out and people feel more confident they want to go out and, and have those experiences and people will want to stay in their rooms and, and go out and find the, the local area so you know I 
I don't think there's huge change there. Except possibly the, the expand, do you think there's a need or will be a need for expand or an expectation for expanded homeworking facilities within rooms? I think there's a mark, there is obviously a, people are talking about that, you know, that because, and that's not necessarily just hotel guest driven. I think there's this, there's a lot of talk in the industry that, you know, the off the, the traditional office and the idea of people going into an office every day has changed quite fundamentally and therefore there's potentially a market where people will take hotel rooms for the day where they don't necessarily want to work from home they want to break and they might have an odd meeting or two so they might take a hotel room they don't sleep in it they don't stay in it. it's a daytime kind of room so that they can work and do things like that so I think there's potential there um and I I think again you know because the office environment is changing I and that I think will change fundamentally the hotel has the potential to become more of a hub where people will just have you know meetings with people because you won't necessarily go into your office so your local you know area hotel parts of your sort of urban environment may become more of a hub for businesses business to and transactions and meetings to take place and just people going there for a break from their four walls of their houses you know it's nice to go and work somewhere else maybe for a for a day so hotels could benefit potentially from that market as well I think for sure. What about hygiene I mean are you looking at guest bedrooms now thinking in the in the bathroom area the surfaces have got to be super easy to clean and we've got to have fewer fewer decorative items perhaps that people might be touching and, and i don't know is that is that a factor elizabeth uh, yes it is although again i would say it always has been um you you it's this it, that's always been an, an important consideration. I think possibly where it may change is that you, you know, you, you get the, the hotels where there's sort of something collateral on every surface. And, uh, and I think that might be pared back. Um, but in t terms of the surfaces and yes, absolutely. And so suppliers who've been looking at, um, what they can do and what they can bring forward there'll be much there'll be more choice i think for us to have things that where suppliers said look we've developed this it's got this great um finish nano um technology to make things easy to clean again it will be all about the hotels being able to give um confidence to the guests that what they're seeing is you know it is it is clean and hygienic and I think even product that probably did have maybe antibacterial product, you know, properties that nobody actually knew about, or it wasn't at the forefront of the way they sold their product necessarily, that's now becoming part of their sales pitch, I guess, you know. Well, I know brass is, brass is a finish that everyone's saying is particularly antiviral. Brush stainless is the worst and, you know, yeah. But, you know, in a luxury, in a hotel, I would want to think that my hotel room is being cleaned anyway. Yeah, and I think, you know, the more this goes on, the less we think it's about touch. It's more about the air and it's more of a, a sort of an airborne disease rather than something you touch. So I, I'm, I don't think it, people don't want to go into a hotel room and feel that it's, you know, utilitarian or institutional. But it's, I think, less clutter, sure. I mean, taking out all the stuff you don't really need and all the decorative clutter that isn't actually required. But again, that's a feeling of space and well-being and makes you feel better when you've got more space. So I think it's certainly part of COVID. But again, I think there's a whole change in people's environment and wanting to be a little less, a bit, you know, more 
decluttered, de-stressed uh, and a bit more, you know, there's all sorts of things going on that are not necessarily COVID driven, I think. Do you think that in order to sort of keep, you know, you, um, I think Fiona, you were mentioning that people, might have been you actually, Elizabeth, that sort of said that people still love the idea of being able to come to a city or a place and then go out into the local community and find the coolest bar and, and have a drink and sort of hang out with the locals. But for, so, for those people that perhaps are a little bit more cautious, do you think residents only lounges will make a comeback? Because I know they've been sort of a little bit of something that's been on the wane in recent years. I don't think so. I mean, it depends on the hotel. When we did the Beaumont, there is a members lounge there and people love it because it's this lovely little cosy bar, you know, that people go into. Um, and because it's such a busy hotel, F&B wise, it means they have got somewhere that they can actually go to. But I don't know. I don't think so. I think people, will, if people are confident enough to go to a, a residence lounge, they're more likely to go to the bar. I think, you know, as Elizabeth touched on, the idea of in-room dining might become a bigger thing, certainly in some parts of the world, because some people are nervous and would prefer to stay in their rooms. Uh, but I think if you're happy to go to a residence lounge, you want to go to a bar. And people like to go out and, be, you know, you go to an environment, you want to experience it. And we're social creatures by habit. So I think it's unlikely, I would say, that that would be a growing trend. And it takes space up, which is not, you know, it's not a great revenue earner. If you, if you separate the two markets, I would agree with Fiona in terms of business. I think that will, you know, people will look at that and think, well, actually, we have managed to do things, projects successfully during this time without having to constantly be on a plane and going somewhere. I don't think you can ever completely take away that face to face. That's really important. Um, but then in leisure if you have taken the decision to go somewhere then i think you are already you know 80 percent of the way there you've decided you want to do this you're going on holiday so you might i agree with you on it a longer break but you're going to go to sort of immerse yourself and really experience it i think the sort of fast short quick things where perhaps you, you don't really absorb the culture might go away a bit but a sort of a longer time where you do immerse yourself in the culture and therefore I think that's what you want to do you want to get out you want to see the local people and and experience it not hide away in a in a in your hotel room no and I, I think too do you think that following on from that that this idea of sort of in, inbound tourism people traveling to parts of their own country where perhaps they can do it on a train and not have to get on an airplane so perhaps the sort of weekend breaks will be you know a weekend in edinburgh or a weekend rather than as you said a weekend in, in barcelona the difficulty we have in this country though if we don't have the sunshine of course no although having said that you know as soon as it opened up you couldn't rent a house or get a hotel room for love nor money in the uk during the summer months because people which just shows that people do want to go away and do want to stay away and travel um so I think, yes, it will, certainly people will look to travel more internally, I think. Absolutely. Is, is that affecting the way you design at all in thinking that you might be, when you're working internationally, for example, you might have to cater for a, a local audience rather than the international audience there was before? I think there was an element of that already in as much as that, you know, every project is is all about the location and making it authentic. So I, I think this will just hasten, hasten that for sure. 
And I think people using hotels locally, not necessarily to stay in, but, you know, for the restaurants to, and as, as we mentioned before, just people using them to work in, have a coffee in, have a meal in. So they are becoming more key parts of the community anyway, I think, even if you're not necessarily traveling to stay in them. Um, so yeah, it becomes more of a local thing as well, for sure. Although just as a community resource, that makes them kind of hot top heavy, doesn't it? If they've got a thousand bedrooms attached. If the main if the main activity is going on in the bar downstairs on the ground floor and you've got 800 bedrooms upstairs with no one in them um i wonder whether that's that's going to affect the balance of public facing space to um you know the way we'll sort of start to think about how much space we devote to guest rooms as opposed to food and beverage but then i suppose that depends on the balance of money that's taken in those two environments it's all about the overall model it sounds like one of the big lessons you might have learned is that you can actually be much more efficient in design because you don't actually need to go to site and and be at the space as often as before. I think not going to site has been really challenging, I'm going to be honest. Uh, we've got a few international projects and it has been, you know, trying to do a site, you know, a mod room review on Zoom is really not great because although technology, when you're sat in your, you know, in an office working is great, when you're out on site, it doesn't work, I'm going to be honest, and it makes it very challenging. Uh, we've got a couple of projects where we have, you know, walk, video walkthroughs and things constantly every, a few days and it's not as good and you can't really do your job as well as you could if you're on the ground for sure you can't get into the corners can you because you're reliant on the person at the other end holding the camera to point at you exactly so you're not really kind of saying hang on a minute what's going on over there no it's um, not the same i think you know there's things you can do remotely and there's things that are very difficult to do remotely and I'm not, you're not doing as good a job as if you're on site doing it so do you think this might in fact lead to to companies like yours having perhaps some um, networks of site agents in some of these countries that you work in most predominantly interestingly we've just been asked yeah we are actually doing that on a project at the moment um in the states purely because we can't we're not allowed to go there at the moment obviously because the states when that's in so we have actually got somebody that's representing us um on the project so if you have someone reliable on the ground, because I know um, there were a load of designers that used to work that way into Barbados, where they would be doing projects up on the Sandy Lane estate, um, and they had a local guy that used to kind of make sure that the quality was as the clients would, or the, and the designers would expect, because again, they couldn't be there to, to police the installation in the way that they would have wished to. It's still very difficult, I think. You know, it's not the same as the actual designer who... I think with design, you have this emotional connection with what you've done and therefore, you know, you're working very hard to make it as good as it can be. And if you haven't gone through that design process and really understood why you've done certain things and made certain decisions, it's quite difficult. It, it certainly makes it better than nobody at all, but it's not quite the same. I'd have to be honest. No, it can't replace it. Um, if they if they don't get the follow through on site, it isn't quite the same. And, and that's when things might get missed. It means that if there's something that needs to be tweaked, you as the designer understand whether to tweak it left or tweak it to the right. Whereas the person on site who isn't you might tweak it the easiest way for them. And that's so you begin to get a, a you begin to lose the purity of the vision, I suppose. Yeah, inevitably, yes. And what about behind the scenes? Is there any, have you noticed any changes to sort of, I don't know, housekeeping, kitchen designs? you know staff areas canteens facilities that sort of thing no i have to be honest no it's we're pretty much most projects we're working on are very much as they were previously yeah, um, interesting it, yeah i think you know and again there is a level of hygiene and cleanliness and all of those inbuilt anyway and you know inevitably because of 
there's quite stringent health and safety requirements on these sorts of projects. So we haven't noticed any fundamental changes in the back of house areas, no. Has that surprised you at the start of this? Would you have expected there to have been radical change? Um, I don't know, not really. I think, it, I, I think it's more in terms, I think at the very beginning, nobody really knew how, what this, you know, what this really was and therefore how it was transmitted and you know, what we needed to do to change to make it safe, I guess, more than anything else. But as it's gone on, I think, you know, fresh air is becoming a big thing, you know, good lighting, all of that sort of thing. So I think it's not so much that about the space, but it's about, yeah, it's things like cleanliness and air, fresh air has become quite a big thing, I think. Um, and that sort of wellness of buildings and wellness of people, the environment that people are working in, natural daylight. I think that was already, uh, coming forward anyway that's not something you know as Fiona said that's that's you know that whole wellness um movement was really coming to the fore anyway um and maybe the thing with this situation is just maybe hastened that a bit more um because it, Fiona's right those things in in many ways are, are very simple to do and yes you know we touched on the transmission thing earlier when everybody was worried about touching surfaces but, but now it's become clear that that is less of an issue and it is it's this airborne transmission and is is that going to lead to a consequent uptick in m e spending do you think as people invest in more sophisticated extraction maybe. systems and maybe. ventilation systems possibly yeah but, but you haven't necessarily seen that yet but maybe that's just one to watch no no to be honest, it hasn't in the projects we're doing, and even new projects that are starting there, isn't a fundamental shift from where people were previously. There just isn't. I mean, there's odd nods to it, and people are talking about it, but it hasn't fundamentally changed the basis of how we design these buildings at all. I know, for me personally, I do like to be able to open a window. So maybe it's more an architectural, you know, where we've we've got these almost hermetically sealed buildings that we have now maybe there'll be a shift to bit to to give people the choice to be able to to open a window if they want to with all the relevant health and safety restrictions that we have to take into consideration as well but uh, so what makes a great hotel designer elizabeth oh well <laughs> <laughs> goodness me um you you have to have the passion for the business I think you need to have an understanding of the hotel business um, what the clients goals are and then that attention to detail and that that sort of never giving up and always questioning everything through the whole whole process underpinned by good taste and great knowledge about you know products and what what you can do and and just yeah questioning i like to think it's about you know just constantly asking questions of everybody that you come across you know your supply chain your clients everybody so you you're getting this whole picture go on fiona what's your take on it yeah this is absolutely right of course um i think for us it's about putting the guest at the center of how we think about the space and how we start the whole process of design. So it's how people respond, I guess, to 
the environment and that's emotionally physically all sorts of things so um that's i think we start with always that premise that we think about how the guest is going to use the building how they're going to use the space and what makes you a great designer is i suppose just being able to focus you know these projects take a long time and it's about collaboration and being a great politician to getting the best you possibly can out of all the people you're working with and whether that's a supplier a client you know it, you've got you've got it you have to be multitasking and doing all sorts of things and you know i think every project is the best projects are when the whole team is working really well together and they're big teams on these projects it isn't it's never down to one company or one designer but i think the interior designer is a key uh, you know is key to these great hotels um and it's just having dogged determination and being good at what you do you know you have to be good at what you do hopefully and having that passion to be able to do it well do you think there'll be other trends that might have an impact? You talked about health and wellness quite a bit, but what about sustainability? Is that feeding through into hotel design? Yes, I think that's the, for us, I think in the next few years, that's going to be the biggest game changer in hotel design. I'd have to say, I think it's a something that you can't ignore um, and shouldn't be ignored. Um, and I think that some of our projects, it's becoming you know, a major cornerstone and driver of the whole design. For sure and i think it's yeah it's probably the single biggest game changer in the industry over the next few years yeah yeah for, for all the reasons that you know it's it's got to change hasn't it um and you know the hotel world is quite wasteful um and it really has to change it's that change you think because hoteliers are driving that change or is that again something that you know the, the punters are voting with their feet they want to stay at somewhere that makes them feel as though they're contributing or certainly not detracting from the planet it's absolutely driven by the guest it's uh, i think it's one of the key decision makers as to why guests stay in hotels at the moment um and so the hotel groups operators owners are being forced to address that and some obviously want to as well so that's a focus for them but it's very much yeah it's guest driven for sure how does that manifest itself in the way that you're designing hotel spaces elizabeth i think it depends very much on on the project and the type of project so um you know it's you fiona's absolutely right when she talks about you know what makes a great designer and it, thinking about the guest and, and how they're going to interact and then what you're selecting to to support that interaction um so it sort of it involves a lot of research and and finding what's out there because it's a balancing act you you know it's you've got to to have that sustainability in your mind but equally you, you've got to end up with a um a product that the guest still feels is luxurious and has that touch that quality um that they're looking for and then if you're working on a renovation i think it's about taking a pragmatic approach to it and not just saying okay we're just going to rip everything out and start again part of it is then looking at what's there and what can we keep what can we reasonably reuse rather than just saying this sort of throwaway attitude it's oh it's it's cheaper to sadly it still is the case it's quite often cheaper to buy new than restore existing but it's trying to get everybody to make that change with you 
What about water conservation? Fiona, is that is that becoming more of a talking point now? Yeah, I think I think the two things that have been talked about for a long time because of LEED and BRIAM and Estadama or whatever, you know, regs that we're, or whatever code uh, we're aiming to achieve uh, is always been water conservation and energy saving, you know, and that's, you know, the, so water saving in the bathrooms and public areas and obviously energy mainly in lighting, kitchens, that kind of thing. Um, and that's been one of the that's been a driver because we have to do that in order to either meet code or achieve these um, levels that are desired by our owners and operators. But I think it's going beyond that now. So it's, you know, every project we do, we're actually, we have a whole environmental section. We're looking at it from product perspective, from whether it's culturally appropriate, you know, life, you know, as Elizabeth said, sort of life cycle, life cycle thinking, smart planning, looking at how we can plan buildings differently. So we have this whole sort of matrix that we're introducing and we're um, doing it. We're doing sort of QAQC on every project as to what we're achieving, what we're not um, as part of our design process. So I think, yes, energy and water is always going to be part of it. But I think it's now coming out of that and you know, into product range, you know, what the product is, where you get it from how it's sourced, you know, what the conditions are of the, you know, factories that they're manufacturing, all sorts of criteria are coming into play um, that are very important. And much more, much more about interrogating your supply chain. And we have, we, we, we have, we are, we're building a big library of information for all of our suppliers, all of our products, you know, what their, what, uh, you know, what their products are, how they're made, where they're made, all those sorts of things. And also how, you know, it's things like FSE timber and things like that. It's not just about the tree that's cut down. Everybody in the chain has to be part of that registration. So the contractor, everybody has to handle everything in a certain way in order to maintain that certification. So it's just on, you know, and we don't know everything by any stretch. It's new to us all. And I think, you know, really drilling down into what we're talking about. So it's just education and it's learning. I think, you know, and I think it's an, it should be an, it not, I don't think we as individuals or individual companies should keep it to ourselves. I think it's something that we should share as an industry, that knowledge. And really, it's, it should be something that's driven by the industry, not by individual companies, because it's, it's something that we don't know about it. We, you know, we don't all know everything. Of course, we don't. And sharing that, I think, is a big thing. So we've asked, you know, is it should, if companies just stick a sticker on the back of their fabrics or whatever it is, so you know, you know, the same way, you know, it's fire retardant. We just want something, you know, it'd be good to have, industry standards that you can just identify product very easily and things like that so i'm oh, sorry we're going completely off track i realize about what we're talking about but. well no it's very relevant actually i think um but yeah i think that's something that we as a team and body and group and all those things need to really get together and understand how we can make it how we can make it possible you know when you're all doing projects quickly you, you need to know that these things are are thoughtful and good for the environment when you're specifying them and you don't always have time to do that research yourself. So if the suppliers make it easy for you, because you guys are big purchasers of these things. So it's in the supplier's interests to make sure that they're giving you the information that you need to make that that decision with confidence. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit, you know, it's a really important thing that we should all be trying to push forward and achieve. So it's how we sort of do that, I guess, as a team or as a body or as a group or whatever that might be. What else, Elizabeth, do you see as, as changing the way you design or having an impact on how you design hotels of the future? Uh, well, I think technology, it's always there. Um, it's a really difficult one because I think we, it, it's quite a, a fast-changing 
thing and and as Jonas said it's absolutely true you know projects can be a very slow process um from when you know from when you first hear about them so as you're going through the whole process of of the design trying to keep up with what's going to be happening in the future what by the end of the project what is the technology going to be um that's that's quite challenging so that's that's always something that we have to have um in mind and it, it can be i can remember working on a project you know 400 of bedroom renovation we went through the whole process we were on site finished ffne was going in and the it um department from the the brand said oh and now we have this new thing for the televisions and the guests to plug in and we're like but there is nowhere in the furniture now that's all made for us to be able to incorporate that so we ended up with this thing it was just sat on the top and it was it was it's upsetting because you put a lot, all that thought into the design and thinking about all the details so that technology thing is um it's always challenging that must be heartbreaking when that happens it is and you you just try really hard to sort of keep on top of it and and, and what's what's happening but um it, you know it can it can be dif difficult you know it's the whole thing when the usb charging first sort of came about you know what size was the, that going to be then there was were were apple going to change the size of the the socket and every all the everybody got in the standard size and yeah it's it, it is difficult pain for you as well fiona i'm sure that yeah i mean yes absolutely technology is always something that as you say it you there's certain things on projects you have to kind of um design in essence but then you just have to be able to keep modifying and adapting and changing them as you know as the building gets nearer to completion and as things change and adapt so it's trying to build in i guess that it's building in that future proofing i suppose into the design um you know and it was one of the big things before covid the, the technology smart technology guest recognition you know making guest experiences more personal by technology was something that people were talking about a lot so i'm sure it'll, it will still come back into play and it's just you know technology's got to be easy hasn't it easy to use and useful mm -hmm. indeed yeah, nobody wants to be reading an instruction manual before they can use anything in the room. Um, so what practical advice would you have for designers working on hotel projects in the future? Well, I think the first thing, and I think it, it sort of touches a bit on, on what Fiona said, is that you must never take things personally. Um, it's, it, you must obviously care about your work, um, but you know you can you can spend a lot of time putting together a fantastic presentation that you think is absolutely there for somebody to say no i don't like it i don't and it could be the smallest of things and you have to be able to to absorb that and as i say not take it personally and then think about what's being said fight the corner if it you you know if it's if it's important but equally think about how you might be able to turn that round if, if, if your client is absolutely adamant that despite the fact you might have 100% understood the brief originally when they see it, they don't like it, you have to be able to, to go, okay, what can we do to move this forward? We're all in this 
together. So it's that, but it's a real balance. And I think sometimes young designers particularly find that quite hard because they're so, you know, understandably passionate, you care about it emotionally, emotionally involved in it. And you have to be, but at the same time, you have to be able to go, okay, I can take a step back. And, and same, and Fiona, what, would you have anything to add to that? I think, um, you know, the hotel industry from a design perspective is one of the best. You know, the projects are great. You work on amazing, pro you know, potentially amazing projects internationally, and they encompass so much, um, so much. You know, you've got restaurants, you've got bars, you've got lobbies, you've got spas, and it, it represents all parts of your life, really. Um, you know, people more and more of these days spend lot you know time more time traveling more time in hotel and they're such a fundamental part of people's lives so I think it's an exciting business to be in. I think enjoy it as Elizabeth said don't don't take the knocks too hard you know it's everyone we've all made loads of mistakes you yes. learn by your mistakes and you're carrying we still make mistakes and yeah. I still make them and you learn by that and I think it's a team effort and I think relying as for us our young designers we absorb, we try and really absorb into the company really bring them into every project from the beginning and you know they don't know you know as we all didn't know a whole lot when we first started you learn by being part of a team part of projects and by understanding what works what doesn't work it's just learning being a sponge open to learning open to experience everything and just really being a sponge and enjoying your time you know everyone loves enthusiasm and uh, being willing to do anything is there anything you think is left unsaid, Elizabeth or Fiona? I just hope this is over soon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Amen to that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's just like it's, it's, working from home has got great, it's good in some way. We have got our studio reopened again because I have to say just that connection and working together and collaboration is so important. And it's just, I'd be nice to get a bit more of a balance back into life, I think. It's gone too much that way. It was that way and now it's gone that way. I agree. Actually, that must be one of the big challenges, Elizabeth, uh, come to you on this one. What about collaboration, not being able to work as a team? Has that affected how you, how you design? Again, I don't think it's affected it. It's, a, it's affected how we sort of, we work together and it's absolutely right. I think the, the new working normal is a balance between the two. I absolutely think it's critical, particularly for us, that collaboration is so important. And we found during lockdown, we were, you know, like everybody on Zoom, teams doing various things. It, you know, but when you've got an, a big shout out to the suppliers, actually, who were delivering samples to multiple homes during this time so that we're all there in our own individual places looking at a, a scheme together. Um, but do you know what? We, we reached a point where we said, right, let's all meet up. And we went to Chelsea Harbour for a day and we got so much more done in that one day than we had done in sort of two weeks of back and forth. And what do you think? And I think, um, again, I think I'm going a bit off, off, off topic, but I think it's creating that balance. Yes, it's nice to work at home and it's nice not to have to be hours on travelling. But equally, I think it's really important that we have that time together for collaboration and also for our young team because yes i was going to say that that's what we've really noticed we we just we found that the young ones were not coming on as quickly as they should have been because they weren't on site they weren't shadowing us on site we didn't have the collaboration in the studio where people are kind of you know 
popping past and kind of going, but what about that? You know, it's all, and, and they, they absorb so much information from just hearing the chat. Hearing conversations and, you know, and that ability to be able to, to just say to somebody, oh, I'm just stuck with this. What, what do you think? And you've solved it, but it does. So yeah. For the and us as well. I yeah. mean, I miss out on not, you know, hearing conversations and understanding what or thinking about I think you one of your points was what's the most interesting and inspiring that's happened and I think I've realized we can work from home because I was a great advocate you can't work from home you know studios are all about working in a team and working in the studio and actually I have learned that you can and we have actually worked very well as a team on teams and zoom and all these things and it doesn't replace as Elizabeth said the collaboration going into the studio which we are doing now um sort of half and half but you can actually do it. And I would have been the one, I would have been somebody who said, no, 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 design you can't do from home. You have to be together. And that's not actually, I've learned that's not true. Well, fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for, for joining us. It's been really good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth and Fiona, for sharing your insights today. I really think that our audience will have taken a lot away from that. And I'm quite surprised to find that actually a lot of the trends that we were seeing anyway have just been like many other things kind of speeded up by the presence of COVID rather than being invented by COVID. Indeed how true. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth and Fiona some great insights there and thank you our audience for your support throughout this difficult year and to listening to this our final show of 2020. We look forward to welcoming you back to a much better and brighter 2021 for us all. You can find the interior design business on wherever you get your audio on demand. We're on Twitter at InkDesignPod and on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.